here we are. Things are rolling. So this is session number 10, Walking in Freedom Every Day, and you'll find it in your uh, manuals on page 78. Growing to maturity. Christians should grow towards spiritual maturity. And in fact, a church, if it ever happened, that was full of Christians who have gone old together but haven't matured is a church in trouble. And in fact, that is exactly what Paul found uh, in Corinth. And we read about it in the letters he wrote to that church in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. It starts, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, but you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? You can sense Paul's frustration there. See, what it is, Christians aren't instantly mature when they become a Christian. They still operate according to the flesh. They don't yet fully understand exactly what happened to them the moment they became a Christian. They still may have unresolved conflicts that allow the enemy to take some advantage. Now, even after some time, as was the case in Corinth, uh, these Christians here were still unable to receive solid food. They were still on baby food, if you like. And why was that? Well, there was a prevailing pattern of sin. That is the common denominator for Christians who don't move on in their faith. In this case, it was jealousy and quarrelling, as we read out uh, in that opening passage, that was still there, stopping them from moving on in their maturity, stopping them from becoming fruitful as Christians. The wonderful truth is, however, that all Christians, in fact, any Christian, can become mature in their faith. The tragedy, I guess, is that some don't. Maybe many do not. It's a bit like if you imagine babies growing up. When babies are, are small and they goo and they gar and they make funny noises, it's very cute. But it only happens a couple of years later when the very same actions, the very same language that they're using suddenly becomes less attractive. They need to mature, don't they? Children need to grow up, otherwise it becomes <coughs> odd. Um, a baby might want solid food. Um, you'll find this out, I'm sure, at some point, Joe. The baby seems to be keen for something more than the milk. But if you wean the baby too soon, what happens is it doesn't digest and it comes back. And so wanting to be mature is not enough, like that baby. It's not enough. They've got to be ready for it. Halloween's coming. Some, after the steps to freedom that we went through, most of us, last week, experienced quite dramatic uh, changes. But whether or not that was the case for you, everyone can uh, be completely transformed and become fruitful as a Christian. The thing we need to understand, however, is that freedom and maturity are different. They're not the same thing. Looking at freedom, we are told that God's Divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We've looked at that verse in 2 Peter chapter 1 quite often throughout the course. And when we went through the steps to freedom in Christ, what we were simply doing is taking hold of that divine power, of the everything that's been provided for us, and receiving it for ourselves. The things we already had. In fact, there are many verses in the Bible that confirm the fact that we already have all that we need 
to become fruitful disciples of Jesus. So, for example, I think they may be listed in your books, possibly still on page 78, just so you've got them there for a future reference. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed, um, sorry, God has already blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, 9-10 says that in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay, get that. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. And that word fullness does carry that sense of completion and being complete. So we can experience freedom, total freedom, but it's not the same as maturity. Being free doesn't mean being mature. Freedom can be obtained in a relatively short <coughs> space of time. So that we're either free or we're still bound, one or the other, off or on, in particular areas of our lives. We don't grow into freedom, we take possession of freedom by the authority we have in Jesus Christ. However, in contrast, maturity is a process. It is a long-burn game. And it is the process of, and the work of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. As we apply ourselves to knowing God and knowing his word, his truth. So it's a very different uh, dynamic, if you like. So while they're different, however, freedom and maturity, of course, are linked. There is some linkage between the two. If we don't first of all take hold of our freedom, we won't mature. We cannot mature. And this was a problem that Paul faced in Corinth amongst these Corinthian Christians. They hadn't dealt with this issue of jealousy and quarrelling among them. And so no matter how much they might have wanted to, they were unable, if you like, to move on and forward in their faith. So there you go. Having taken hold of your freedom then, there are three keys to maturity that this session is going to uh, run through. Uh, just looking at the bottom now, page 78, you'll see the first one. It's all about taking personal responsibility for our own walk with the Lord. Paul, for example, when he was dealing with the Corinthians, he didn't pray that God would take the quarrelling and jealousy away. Neither could he on their behalf as a church, as people, confess for them or repent for them or submit to God or resist the devil on their behalf. He couldn't do that. All he could do was point them to the truth and encourage them to see it and encourage them to choose to act on it. But ultimately it was up to them. It was their choice to act or not. So it leaves us with a question. Who is responsible for what in this process? Well, some things are God's responsibility and some things are our responsibility. But the challenge is sometimes we get them a little bit mixed up. So let's try and unpack that a little bit. There's a story in the material here about a lady who went on a Freedom in Christ course. And actually before this or um, during this process, she uh, previously had been woken up by scary demonic uh, presence in her room. That was her history. So much so, she got so scared by this that she ended up moving back into her parents' house. And actually, when this scary demonic presence still appeared in her room, she ended up going actually sleeping with her parents in their bed whenever it happened. 
Now she prayed. Of course she did. She prayed, God, take this horrible thing away. But nothing happened. And actually she did go on to become quite a nervous person. She went on to antidepressants and ended up being signed off long-term sick leave. Now that kind of testimony is an interesting one. We have to ask the question, well, why didn't God take it away? Why did this continue? And as she began to understand, what we have to also understand is that God had already answered her prayer. He had already answered it because, as we've already been looking at over these weeks, he has completely disarmed and defeated Satan at the cross. We've been looking at that, particularly Colossians 2 verse 15. And he had given this lady, as he's given all of us, power and authority over the demonic and over Satan himself. And somehow, in the wisdom of God, he decided, as he does with us, it's, it was her responsibility to submit to God, resist the devil, and see him flee. That's the pattern, is it? That's the formula, if you like, we see in James chapter 4, verse 7. So when she first heard this teaching, as you could possibly understand, she felt, oh, I can't do this, this is impossible, I'm stuck, how am I going to manage this? However, um, she committed herself to God's word and the truth that she had been focusing on and decided not to listen to her feelings and she went for it. And in fact, even the next day, she went on to confess, well, guess what, it actually worked. That presence wasn't there last night and that was her testimony ongoing. You see, praying away our problems like that would be a nice idea. But repentance and believing the truth actually is our answer in those cases. No one else can repent. No one else can believe for you. No one else can uh, forgive or submit to God for you. And actually, it wouldn't teach us anything, would it, if that was the case? It wouldn't teach us how to persevere. It wouldn't teach us how to be prepared to resist the next time something like that happened. In fact, it was for our own good that God doesn't bend the rules or assume our responsibility. Because he wants us, like this young lady, to learn just how much power, just how much authority we do have in Jesus. And he wants us to exercise it. So it is our responsibility to move on as Christians. No one else can do it for you. It's a bit like, I guess, um, healthy living. If some of you had an ambition, maybe a New Year's resolution to have a healthier lifestyle, you won't catch it from somebody. You can't sit next to somebody who is very healthy and just by osmosis become healthy yourself. You have to, I guess, understand and learn what it is to eat a good diet, have good rest, eat properly and exercise. I guess the same is true spiritually. Um, we don't just sit next to or hang around somebody who we consider to be a spiritual giant and just by osmosis become spiritually mature ourselves. It doesn't happen. Of course we can learn from others, we can learn you know, what do they believe, uh, what spiritual disciplines do they have in their life that help them, um, but we still end up having to take our own responsibility for ourselves, believe and practice the same as they in order to be uh, mature. So how can a Christian be transformed? Well we've looked at this verse a number of times, I'll remind it to you again, Romans 12 verse 2. This is the answer. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's how we do it. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The good news is it's in our hands. It's our responsibility. It's not God's and it's not the church's or the church leader's. 
it's ours. But that's good news. We can take responsibility for this. So for example, if my youngest daughter Zoe came up to me as, as her dad and said, Dad, can Hannah, her older sister, can she go to the cinema tonight? I would say, uh, well, um, tell Hannah to come and ask me herself. I wouldn't give an answer to Zoe, would I, for, for that? And it's the same in a way with us and God. Rather than, in these areas, asking others, pray for us, pray for me, God, if you like, is saying, hello, <laughs> I'm your dad, come and talk to me. You can't have a second-hand relationship with God. We don't need someone else to pray for us if it's an issue that God has given us the ability and responsibility to resolve. So, whenever there's a problem in a believer's life, the emphasis is firmly on the individual believer taking action. And it's the same when it comes to remaining in our freedom and moving towards maturity. Exactly the same. You alone can do it. That's the truth. But you can't do it alone. Let me explain. Other people can encourage you. They can love, they can support, they can remind you of the truth. But ultimately, we are each responsible for our relationship with God. And he wants to deal directly with each of us. Now that is good news, I've said it already. Because otherwise, our spiritual growth would depend on other people. It would depend on finding perhaps the special, most anointed person who could pray for me. Or it would depend on me just finding the right book that was really going to help me in my growth. Or going to the right place where God's anointing seems to be at this time. Or it might depend on maybe even going on the right discipleship course. But thankfully, it's not like that. The answer is in our own hands. We have in Christ everything we need to become mature and fruitful. So, however many obstacles you might think there are in your past, in your relationships, in your present situation, you can't blame them for your lack of spiritual growth or freedom. Nothing, no one can prevent you from becoming the person God wants you to be, except you. Again, another verse we've looked at quite frequently, Galatians 5, verse 1. It, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But note this, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It's down to yourself not to be burdened again. Now you've been set free by the yoke of slavery. That's the first one. The second key to maturity is renewing your mind. We're at the bottom of page 79, I think, now. The steps process can make it easier for you to connect with the truth, and I trust some of you have experienced a bit of that, but the fact is we probably still have strongholds, unhelpful ways of thinking, which have been based on past experiences or traumas, etc., or repetition of habits in our mind, that are still untrue, but they still feel true. But again, we have the weapons we need to deal with these strongholds. Paul mentions um, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, another passage we looked at um, frequently, that again, it's our responsibility. We are to fight. We are to actively demolish arguments, pretensions, and set themselves up against the truth in our minds. We're to take every thought <coughs> captive in our mind. That's what we do. We wield those kind of weapons. But as we do so, we find it does take application, it does take time, and it does take some effort. So what's the process we need to go through 
on a regular basis? Well, first of all, we probably need to undercover and recognise what lies we are believing. What are these untruths that we carry on believing because we feel that they're true, even though they're not in line with what we know is true or what we read about as truth in God's word? Um, Another example from a previous Freedom in Christ um, course, there was a young lady, went through the steps, but still seemed to feel as if she was dirty. That was the kind of word that she used, that had come up quite often when she was forgiving people in that step three of the steps process. I feel dirty. And um, by, the, by her testimony, she had been abused by a workman in her home when she was a, a child. And that had taught her to see herself and her body as dirty. And she then, uh, during kind of teenage years and adulthood, developed anorexia. She was into self-harm. She had many addictions. But for her, they were all a way of trying to cope and blot out those negative feelings that she'd had from that experience. So the steps to freedom in Christ, what they'd done is kicked the enemy, if you like, out of her life. And she was free, but she would probably, if not certainly, have spiralled back down into those former coping mechanisms, those former challenging lifestyles, if she'd stopped there and hadn't carried on. Why? Because they still felt true. The key to her ongoing freedom was to know that through Christ she had been made pure. She was spotless. She was already perfectly clean. And that God therefore welcomed her every day back into his presence and was proud of her so we need to do that we need to identify the lies that we're still believing perhaps about ourselves perhaps about god and what he's like perhaps even about satan and the level of power he's got and as i said it was uh, step three of the steps to freedom process that helped this lady and it will probably help us as well identify any of these areas of lies or strongholds that are still influencing us. Because that was a step where we were choosing to forgive people that the Holy Spirit had alerted us to uh, from our past, perhaps. And as we wrote down the people uh, that and what they'd done and what we were forgiving them for, we're also encouraged, if you remember, to write down how those things had made us feel. And um, if you haven't done that exercise, don't worry, you can do it in the future. Or if you have, look back. And the encouragement was just to have a look. On each one, if you felt a common theme running through, if you wrote the same word, it might have been dirty, like that lady. It might have been stupid, useless, inadequate, inferior. Whatever that feeling was, if it's repeated across a number of your examples, that it may be an area of, of, a, of that the enemy has a stronghold in your thinking reinforced through all these different experiences, you know, encouraging you to go on believing that lie. Um, what you'll find, and those of you who went through the steps, you did pick up um, uh, the steps booklet, didn't you? You'll find um, near the back, actually, on page 84, oh, is it 84? 74, 74, a, um, a fear appendix, if you like. And it is strongly encouraged, actually, of all the appendices to look at that one, because, lo and behold, most of us as Christians do have fears, um, once we, even once we become a Christian. And it's important to understand that behind each of those fears is a lie that we're believing that's not true. And we need to uh, identify it, because lo and behold, those lies that are causing those fear have some impact, have an effect in our lives. So just a simple example, if you like, you might have a fear of Satan. 
you might then have to work out what's behind that uh, fear. Uh, it could be the lie that Satan's more powerful and has more authority than you. The truth, of course, is, as we read previously, 1 John 4, 4, he who is in us is greater than one who is in the world. So that's a kind of process, thought pattern, if you like, you have to go through for identifying some of these things. But thankfully, as I say, there is a strategy, there is power, there is authority for us to deal with strongholds. And at the top of page 80, in fact, throughout page 80, you'll see what they call a stronghold-busting strategy, a way, if you like, of renewing your mind. A little process, very simple but powerful, for renewing your mind, getting rid of those strongholds and replacing them with truth, to the point that you not, don't only know they're true, but you feel that they're true. So, as we've already discussed, number one there, you'll see, is identifying the lie. And then it's about ignoring whatever you feel about it, saying, no, this is a lie, I can clearly identify it as a lie, whatever I feel about it, I'm going to commit myself to believing God's truth. The encouragement then, having identified something like that, is to do a search across the Bible uh, for truths that state the opposite, that contradict the lie. So finding biblical evidence, basically, in the form of a phrase, a sentence, a passage, here and there across the Bible. Write as many of these down as you can find. You might say, well, how do I do that? I don't know the Bible well. I don't even know if I've read everything in the Bible. Well, you can use a concordance, which if you've got a kind of study Bible, a Bible with bits at the back, it's like an index. Look up your word, um, whatever it might be, your feeling or the inverse of it, and look for passages, verses that speak about that. Um, I use BibleGateway.com, a free kind of online tool where you can just type in a word and it searches across the whole Bible. You've got multiple versions of the English uh, language uh, Bibles and also probably foreign versions as well. And what you're encouraged to do then is write down what effect that believing that lie had had, or has so far had, on your life. Um, So for that lady it was, well, that bad feeling... Uh, caused her to have anorexia and caused these addictions. Um, in some ways, that just helps spur us on. We know this lie is genuine and is having a big impact on my life. It just kind of gives us some motivation to go for it. Uh, the fourth step, as you'll see there, number four, is writing down a prayer or perhaps a declaration um, based on this little formula they've given you. So basically finish each of these sentences. It's a very simple thing, but it's extremely powerful. So finish the sentence, I renounce the lie that Satan is more powerful than me, whatever it might be. And then write a second sentence, I declare or I announce the truth that he who is in me is greater than he who is in um, the world. Or whatever the Bible verse or the summary of the truth across your Bible verses, are teaching you. Just two simple sentences. And then the fifth, but the most vital process then, is to go through that daily for 40 days. It's a six-week process uh, where you go over that truth, you, you kind of speak out, out loud, uh, that renunciation of the lie and that declaration of the truth. And... Repeat it for those number of days. And you might say, well, why 40 days? What's so special about that? Well, um, it's just found to work, I guess. Um, Psychologists do say that it takes about that 
long, about six weeks, for a habit to form. And therefore it will take the same length of time for a habit to break. So just breaking down that stronghold consistently over those number of days can really get you through on it. Uh, so it does require a bit of effort, a bit of time, uh, not necessarily a long amount of time on each day, but just that consistency, and it will have a great impact. Now, just be assured, there's no magic in it, there's no formula in it, and you don't need to get religious or legalistic about it. If you miss a day, if you miss two days, don't worry, just get back to it. Don't condemn yourself, uh, but just carry on. You can go more than 40 days until you just begin to feel this truth is real. And it works a bit like this. This is the illustration it gives. Um, imagine you've got a concrete wall. I don't know, Joe, if you've ever done any demolition work with concrete uh, walls and demolition balls. But apparently, if you hit a demolition ball against a concrete wall, you know, 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, up to 30 times, it still doesn't give. There's no evidence of it weakening. But sooner or later, and it might be only the 36th swing, a small crack appears in the wall. And then it's on the 37th swing that, oh, a bigger crack begins to open up. And whether it's the 38th, the 39th, or the 40th, in a few more, the whole thing will crumble. I'm told that's how it happens. And you might say, well, it was only the final three swings, perhaps, that appeared to have any effect. Well, they only had effect because of the previous 37 swings at it. It wouldn't have fallen on those three alone. And in a way, that's how this stronghold buster uh, works. You've got some examples in your books actually on page 84, 86 at the back there just to give you, just to ground it a little bit. You might find that these are relevant for you anyhow so take them, use them. Um, but it, in some ways they're just illustrative. Um, they've got the uh, kind of stronghold of comfort eating, internet pornography, feeling alone or lonely. Um, but you'll more than likely need to kind of work on one from scratch for yourself. And the third area, the third key to maturity uh, this, the real encouragement here is that you take a long-term view of this. Don't expect, don't look for instant success necessarily. This is on page 82, I think, now. You may find that this feels like a waste of time, that it doesn't seem to be working. Now, there are some strongholds, and if you imagine kind of the pornography one, it does take time to dismantle uh, and take away those kind of mental images that that would have um, kind of built up in your mind and your thinking. So it may require concerted effort over time, but you can expect, even with something like that, your mind someday to become pure. And those kind of images, those kind of thoughts will eventually fade away. Another encouragement under this title is, well, train yourself. Train yourself to distinguish good from evil. Hebrews 5.14 says, Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And again, it's our responsibility, it's our job to grow in our spiritual discernment, to learn when things are right or not right. And I think we've used this illustration before as well, where our bank staff are shown genuine notes so that they can spot a forgery, so they can spot a counterfeit when they see one coming over the counter. They don't study the forgery, they study the real deal. And it's the same with us. If we want to know the truth intimately so that we can spot lies immediately, then there's no shortcut. We have to immerse ourselves in God's word, the Bible. That is the final and only 
authority for, the, for truth. We really need to get to know what God says. The other encouragement really is not to try and do lots at once. If you've identified a number of strongholds in your thinking, pace yourself. Do one at a time. Uh, don't try and cover all bases at the same time. Secondly here under this uh, kind of title is we're running a race. Uh, that's, that's the way Paul described it when he talked about his uh, Christian walk, his growth and maturity. And we need to know where we're heading. And we're heading to spiritual maturity. But we need to keep going. Forgetting what is behind, he says in Philippians 3, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature, he says, should take such a view of things. So it's about setting out a long-term plan, dealing with one thing at a time, making sure we've really genuinely found some change in our thinking, in our mindset, before we move on to another area. There's a few other practical things at the bottom here, I think, of um, 82 or maybe onto 83, I'm not sure now. Um, just a few things listed there. There's a book called Walking in Freedom. I've got a few copies, three. It's kind of a more of a normal size paperback. It's actually a 21-day devotional book. So if you like those kind of things, then uh, I don't know, I think I've charged 10 quid for those. A uh, bit of a discount. Um, but again, just a 21-day devotional exercise just to help you refresh your mind on some of the key principles and concepts and truths that this course has covered. Another option for you is to be accountable with a mature Christian, and we might talk a little bit about that uh, in the next session as well, where you can invite someone who you know is a mature Christian just to ask you, how are you doing on that thing you, know, you talked about? Um, open up, tell me where you're up to. And you can arrange that yourself. You just have to find someone that you know, you trust, who's a Christian. And you can just ask for them. So, you know, when we see each other, just ask me how this thing is going. Now, you may find that you need a bit of extra support. Um, those of you who have been through the steps of freedom, if you didn't complete one of the steps because we ran out of time, and if uh, you've tried on your own at home but you're still getting stuck, or there's so much there you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, then as we've said before, we're here, some of us are here to kind of support you in that. Gina's here, if you're a lady, she's happy to meet up with any of you. Julian, who's not able to come tonight, will meet up with any of the guys. Myself, Dale, can also support, because I think there's more guys and ladies here. Um, you know, if you just have tried, but getting stuck, or don't feel able to say the words that that prayer given in the steps to freedom suggests, then I'd suggest come and find somebody and we can work it through with you. And lastly, the encouragement is, well, let's, get, let's go over all this stuff again. It's good stuff, really good material. Um, you only take in so much first time round, so why not take it in again? Um, we have got the books, and I've got the fourth book now available for a fiver each, the kind of uh, consolidation of what we're talking through in book form. Take one of those, read it in your own time and at your own leisure. You can listen to the podcast. I'm continuing to record and upload those now or, you know, in a year or six months or whenever. And who knows, we'll be repeating this course so you can always come back in years to come. Great, well that's the end of that session. So I think it'd be great to kind of break up into our small groups. Really just to ask, does that make sense? Um, is there anything you do, uh, do not understand? Is there anything you need further clarification on? So I'll join the boys in a minute. Um, and then, you know, maybe in uh, 15 minutes we'll grab, grab another drink, have a leg stretch and um, come back for the next session. All right?